and welcome to episode number 202 of the Lions Podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by Stephen Anders, Brad Allen. We run down all of the games of the week, and boys, we are down to but two games left in this regular NFL season before we head to the Super Bowl. And man, I am mildly depressed. It is one of those things where it's a long season, and then once you see that it is going away, you start to wonder what the hell am I going to do with my life? What is going to go on? How am I going to get by every single day? And, um, you know, listen, at least we do have what on paper looks to be a couple of good games here. Steven, I'm going to give the floor to you for just a second to gloat. I was uh, I was all over the Packers. You were all over the 49ers. <laughs> it was the ugliest game of the weekend. It it did. They did not score an offensive touchdown. It did not matter. It did not matter. They advance and you get you get the floor for 30 seconds to uh, to tell me what an idiot I am. I can't, though. I can't call you an idiot when you were on the wrong side of a team that scored zero offensive <laughs> touchdowns. I mean, like, let's be real here. I, I love that the 49ers won. It was a, it was an enjoyable evening. It was a stressful evening. But I mean, how many times do the Packers win that game if they play it over again? Right. Especially if it's not a snow globe. Right. So I can't gloat too much. But I will say that the one piece of the handicap that we were correct on is how dominant the 49ers pass rush has been the second half of the year and I think we're going to talk about that some more in the NFC championship game yeah no definitely so let's go ahead and uh, kick things off here Cincinnati Bengals versus the Kansas City Chiefs the Bengals head to Arrowhead the narrative has already started they're pulling months old quotes from Joe Burrow and trying to pass them off as if they're new when him talking about the noise not bothering him and it's like yeah, no, he said that way back in like week six of the NFL season, but uh, everyone's <laughs> passing that along like Joe Burrow's trying to trying to start something here with the with the crowd over there at Arrowhead. Guys, as we sit right now, this is a seven and a half point line now at the majority of the books out there. This has changed overnight and this morning. The one lone holdout right now is DraftKings, but it is juiced to 120. So you got to think this is on its way to seven and a half there as well. 54 and a half is your total. If we look across the landscape in Las Vegas, it is the majority sevens in Las Vegas. There are a couple of seven and a halves that have popped at this juncture, but typically the uh, prevailing line in Vegas is seven. So this is one of those instances where we are seeing a disagreement in Vegas compared to what we are seeing rest of country here. Um, Brad, let's take a look here at last week. And with this shootout game between the Chiefs and the Bills, the game goes to overtime, extra snaps on your on, you know, on your team and everything like that. Are you at all in your handicap? Did that play a factor before you get deep into your handicap? Did the game that the Chiefs played last week have any factor in kind of how you started to view things this week? Uh, no, it did not. Mm. Um, I mean, it's yeah. It, I mean, it was the Chiefs' offense. They had one drive in overtime, didn't they? Um, you know, I, I think it was more. <laughs> it was more excitement for us than like actual toll on on the defense or the offense. So, guys, listen, from an injury standpoint, the big one that we're watching in this one is Tyron Matthew. 
He did practice on Thursday, but he is still in the concussion protocol. I don't think I need to tell everybody out there what an important piece he is to this defense. I don't think I need to tell everybody how much he would be needed whenever he is going up against the, the kind of, I'm even calling it like a four-headed monster at this point because C.J. Uzoma has really established himself as kind of a go-to target there for Joe Burrow as well. So how much Tyron Matthew could mean to this defense, Stephen? And so, you know, <clears throat> there it looks as if, and we have seen these guys kind of progress through the concussion protocol here in the playoffs a little bit faster than we did in the regular season, and it looks like he's going to to go, but certainly a a big injury and certainly something we should be monitoring and should be paying very close attention to. There's also been no COVID positives through three weeks of the playoffs. It's a friggin' miracle. They've <laughs> solved concussions in COVID in the playoffs, man. It's amazing. Yeah, but these guys have my been getting, eyes. These guys have been getting playoff uh, concussions. These are these are playoff yeah, concussions it, that they're getting. I mean, we need to talk to the NFL doctors here. It's incredible. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> so, so for my yeah. to get me, what were you going to say, Matt? No, no, get, get back on track. Yeah, here. Get, get get to uh, get. To, what were you going to say about Matthew? Well, nothing about Matthew. Mm. My eyes for this matchup went more straight to the trenches, to be honest with you. I think of the two games, this is the one where I would be shocked if the underdog pulled an upset. Because if you look at the offensive and defensive line matchup in particular when the Bengals have the ball, they got issues, man. I mean, they've been pressured like crazy for two straight weeks here and have gotten away with it. Cincinnati 25th in, in um, I'm sorry, Cincinnati 30th in pass block win rate, Kansas City 7th in pass rush win rate. If there's one area maybe the Bengals can try and, and capitalize on, it's the fact that the Chiefs were overall 32nd in stopping the run, but and they were 10th and the, the Bengals were 10th in, in run block win rate. But that's a that's a tough task when you have Patrick Mahomes on the other side and he might put up points and you have to pass with him to try and stay within the game. So um, I have major concerns there with with the protection still for the Bengals, despite them advancing to this point. And I think my favorite way to play this is potentially as a teaser to get the Chiefs down through the seven, through the three. And we could talk a little bit when we get to the NFC about what the best teaser leg is for that if we go that route. But for all the talking heads and first take TV personalities out there that might be bringing up the last matchup between these two teams where the Bengals won at home, the Chiefs had 10 penalties for 83 yards in that game, including one that wiped off a kick return for a touchdown. And six of those 10 penalties led directly to Bengals first downs. And for what it's worth, the referee in this game now is Bill Vinovich. You mix crews in the postseason, but he's going to have at least some of his crew. His crew called the least amount of penalties in the NFL this season. So if you're banking on all that penalty situation to repeat itself and the Bengals to pull an upset, I think you're asking for a very large outlier situation. So let's go back to that first game then, uh, Brad. I mean, it was a Bengals 34-31 win. Chiefs led 28-17 at halftime. They only scored three points the rest of the way. Mahomes had one of his worst games of the season statistically. Well, I, no, I say worst, had an average game. 26-35, 259 yards in that one. Uh, Burrow goes 30-39, of 49, 446. 
in that game. The Chiefs ran for 155 yards. The Bengals only ran for 60 yards. It was the Jamar Chase show. He had 11 catches for 266 yards. Steven mentions that uh, those penalties, a lot of those penalties were pass interference calls and holding calls on the receivers. Chiefs play a bunch of man uh, defense, and with that is inherently you're going to to get some of those calls go against you in, in those type of situations. When I think it's uh, I don't think we should just blow over the fact that this game happened in week 17. And not only did it happen in week 17, it happened when the Chiefs needed this game to to secure the number one seed overall in the AFC, which they ended up not getting by losing this game. So, Brad, I don't think it's I don't think us just blowing this game off and not taking into account what we saw in this game is, is the right way to go about this. What say you? Um I, I guess it depends how you look at the game because I look at the game and I think the Chiefs should have won it by 15 points. Uh, they had a 57% success rate compared to 49 for the Bengals. The Chiefs had a better first down rate. Um, but as you say, they they lost they lost about six yards hundred. per play. Yeah, uh, yeah, and but again, you go they, they did you, they lost total yards and yards per play. Yeah, but you you watch those plays and like the the chase the 72 yard touchdown. The, the, like the defense looks like it does not care. Right? There's a, one of the cornerbacks is literally just looking at him as he as he sprints off. Um, and as, as you say, they were up they were up 14 points or so at half. And I, it looks to me like they switched off. It looks to me like they thought, right, we've got this in the bag. They'd won eight straight or whatever at that point. Um, so I, I think it is fair to say we're going to get more intensity. Um, they're probably not going to be penalised to the same extent. As I say, someone tallied up the amount of win percentage lost on penalties and it, it was 60%, um, which was like double the, the second most in a game this season. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, t- I suppose the other thing here that I thought was wrong in that game for the Chiefs is, is they blitzed. There was that big third and 17 play in the second half where, again, he threw it up to Chase. Obviously, he goes and makes a, a superb play. But... Why, why, why are they sending a zero, zero blitz on third and 17? Like you, you look at Burrow's splits this year against cover right. one or, or blitz. He's, he's literally the best quarterback in the NFL. Against two man, he's 23rd in the NFL by EPA. So I'm hoping that the, the Chiefs just sit in cover two here. They just sit in that soft shell that everyone's been doing to them all year. And they just make Burrow beat them like that and don't offer up those, those one-on-one balls uh, for, for Jamal Chase. Yeah, so kind of circle back to that. So Stephen mentioned the the defensive line versus the offensive line. Burrow, everybody's watched uh, and everybody saw Burrow sacked nine times versus the Titans. Now, eight of those came on just the four-man rush. They Titans bl- did blitz 11 times in that game last week. One of those resulted in a sack. Do you know what the other 10 resulted in? Burrow went 10 for 10 on the other, on the 10 other blitzes that he got sacked one time. He went 10 for 10 against the 10 other blitzes that were, that were coming his way. And so that is, that is really the primary thing here, Brad. And I'm glad you seized on that because that is what I'm seizing on here because the chiefs primarily play man and primarily blitz. They had the sixth highest man coverage percentage in all of the NFL. And they had the eighth highest blitz rate in the NFL. And so they are going to have to fundamentally change how they want to play defense if they if they, you know, if they want to go in this and, and go about this differently and try to play against the strength of of the Bengals and Burrow. And so I don't know if you're going in and fundamentally changing how you play defense over the course of NFL season if that's necessarily working in your favor. I mean, you you've just been cooked for 266 yards and three touchdowns by Chase by blitzing. Like, I think even even if your personnel doesn't suit it, I think you have to try and change it. 
um, especially with the stats that you've just laid out as well. Yeah, Stephen, I mean, like it's it's one of those deals where I, I can't imagine that they come out and play like they have all year long. But does that then kind of fundamentally put them at a at least a mild disadvantage because they are playing in a way that they are not used to playing? And and certainly, again, I don't think anybody would argue that they had more success on the defensive side of the ball as with the season progressed. And it was playing this style of defense. Yeah, I mean, we can we can debate back and forth until the dogs come home about whether or not Joe Burrow is going to be able to be effective in throwing the ball here. The other issue I have is their red zone offense, especially when facing the Chiefs, because they've been a, a little fortunate in the past two playoff games here. Uh, one for two against the Titans, two for five against the Raiders in the red zone on the season. They're only the 18th ranked red zone offense in converting into touchdowns. And you're facing the Chiefs now. And we haven't even talked much about the other side of the line of scrimmage here where Cincinnati's pass rush was only 25th this season in win rate, 25th in run stop win rate. And you're facing a Kansas City Chiefs offensive line that was top three in pass block win rate and run block win rate. So I'm I'm almost viewing this game, Matt. Like Joe Burrow has to go out there and have an all time great playoff game to pull this upset with what we've seen now from this incantation of the Kansas City Chiefs, because they have they just played Buffalo and they were unstoppable. So I'm having I I guess there's a, a situation in the range of outcomes where the Bengals are down 14 with two minutes left and Burrow gets inside the seven and a half here. But that's that's why I just I don't see any. I see a very, very small situation where the Bengals pull an upset here because of all these factors we've discussed. So I'm looking to play the teaser leg on the Chiefs and take out this this touchdown spread. Yes, I, I don't think there's any uh, I don't think there's any question as to where I'm leaning in, in this one. I mean, I think that uh, a lot of the stats do bear out and do kind of point towards. Um, this game being pretty close and and certainly staying within the seven and a half, as we keep mentioning, right? I mean, if they do choose to blitz, as Brad mentioned, Burrow, best in the NFL, 11.5 yards per attempt versus the blitz over the course of the NFL season. That's the highest in the NFL. The uh, versus man coverage, he had 11.4 yards per attempt. That was number one in the NFL as well. And if you go back to that week 17 meeting, on the downs where they did not blitz, when they did sit back in coverage, Burrow went 24 of 30 for 354 yards and all four of his touchdowns whenever they did not blitz him in that game in week 17. So they figured something out in week 17 when they didn't blitz. They figured something out against the zone. Then I think they can figure something out against the zone now. The Those incredible weapons that, that he has, I think that, you know, listen, if they try to take Chase away, which I imagine that's going to be the number one goal here, a guy torches you for 11 and 266, that better be your, your number one goal is trying to take away Chase. They still have Higgins. They still have Boyd. They still have Uzama. They still have Mixon coming out of the backfield. Uh, I think seven and a half is too much. I played the seven and a half. Uh, this game is not going to play outside of of a touchdown. Um, it's it's just not going to. They're they're going to score on this Chiefs defense um, just like the Bills did last week. And so it's going to it might come down to one of those who has the ball last. Um, Brad, how are you playing this one? Um, I would say if you like Cincinnati, are you not better off going team total over? I mean, I've seen twenty two and a halfs out there because. 
I, I, I agree with Stephen. I, I don't see any way that the, the Bengals are stopping the Chiefs getting to thirty plus. So do you, do, you, do you not just get a little bit safer and take the the team total on the Bengals? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you, I guess you could for sure. Um, I'm not incredibly. I, I'm I'm less bullish on on the fact that they can't win this game outright than than you guys are. I mean, again, I keep going back to the fact that. This game happened in week 17 and maybe the most important game for the Chiefs all season and which would have secured the number one seed in the in the NFL, which gets them a bye. And um, they lost that one. So I, I'm not as bullish on you guys that they can't win this thing outright. And so I, I think keeping it within within the numbers well with well within reason here. Um, I have a lean to the over, but this number's gotten away so much that I feel I understand if I still think it goes over, you bet it anyway. But it something about this gamblers thing inside of me that know that I've missed three points on this thing that is just kind of yeah. like, uh, you know, whatever. But um, if you had to play the total guys, uh, Steven, I'll start with you. Is this an overlook and underlook? If you had to play it one way or the other? Uh, I'd probably, yeah. I mean, I have to stick to my fundamentals here, right? Like it's gone, it's gotten away from us to play the over. So I, I hate taking the worst of the number. I could see a situation where the, the pressure gets to Joe Burrow potentially here. And, and it's a little bit lower scoring for them than we think. And I also think that it's not outside of the realm of possibilities where the chiefs don't, open it out and air it out like they did against Buffalo last week. Because if they have longer sustained drives, that also keeps Joe Burrow off the field too. And the Bengals have had, have struggled to stop the run. So they could have success running the ball. And Patrick Mahomes has been a lot more patient in those situations this year than he has in past years. So I could see a situation. I, like, I think now the only value left, if there is any, is on the under. Brad, if you had to play the total, which way are you playing it? Uh, probably the under. I, I do wonder if we got a little bit tricked by that AFC champion or the the AFC game last week, where if the Chiefs get a stop on fourth and twelve, I think it is late. That game goes under, right? Um, yeah. And then obviously, yeah, it's been bet up three points. And the Chiefs had a sixty percent, more than sixty two percent success rate on rushing the ball in in this first meeting. Um. You know they were they were they were they were doing pretty much whatever they wanted rushing the ball. So as Stephen says, they they could turn to that. Um, props wise, I did a little bit of T Higgins over five and a half receptions. Um, I, I do expect the Chiefs to sit in some cover two more um, and kind of force the Bengals to those in breaking routes rather than just the go balls to chase. And that that's pretty much where Higgins uh, makes his makes his hay. Um, and then I did do Chiefs minus four first half. Um, as, as 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 you said in the first meeting, and all year long, the Chiefs have been like the best team in the NFL, scoring on their opening drive. Um, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them come out and just go up and down the field for the first half, like they have pretty much all season. Yeah, i I am also looking at at, at that from a from a from a prop standpoint as well. Thinking here that if we kind of look at what the um, if we kind of look at what I assume the Chiefs would want to do, right? If a guy goes for 266 against you, is you try to make sure and, and keep him out of the, you know, I, I'm not torching you again. I kind of looked also at Tyler Boyd. Um, Tyler Boyd ran a route on all but two of Joe Burrow's 46 dropbacks last week. So he's out there running routes every single down. And his prop is kind of right in that 40 ish range kind of right in that 40 yard range 39 and a half type something like that and again 
there's two different ways that this gets home. And Stephen, this is way, you know, I think that all of us like to play props as to where there's two different, there's two different game scripts as to where something can get home as opposed to just getting, you know, blocked out if a game gets out of hand. Well, you know, listen, if, if, if Cincinnati has success in this game, we think it's going to be on the arm of Joe Burrow and his receivers doing well. I don't think we're sitting here thinking that the they win this game by mixing going for 155 or something like that on the ground. So if that's the case, then um, I think the, the 39 and a half for Boyd comes into play. And then also, as we mentioned, let's say the Chiefs just start trucking them and then they have to, and Burrow literally has to throw 55 times in this game. Well, if that's the case, that certainly favors all the overs on all the receivers, but uh, I'd rather take some of these lower numbers on these secondary guys, just in case it becomes a, we're double, we're double teaming Jamar Chase every single time. And if you can beat us with Higgins and Boyd and Uzama, then, then by all means. Matt, I had a similar thought to you, but took a different route. Uh, I found a prop that I liked along that same logic. It was Joe Mixon over three and a half receptions. And you can Mm -hmm. actually get plus 120, plus 130 on this as we record this on Friday morning. I think that angle is interesting for the reasons you said. I think it's interesting because he's potentially the safety valve and and the blitz beater for Joe Burrow to dump it off to him. It aligns with his usage over the past month, including playoff games, his last four games, six, seven, four and six receptions. And that makes sense. Also, considering the fact that in past weeks on this podcast, we've talked about how the Bengals heaviest situation neutral pass rates have all come in the past month, month and a half here. So uh, this is not the Joe Mixon of of the middle of the season that was getting 30 rushing attempts per game. This is a much heavier pass offense. And I I'm a little bit surprised that we're getting a plus plus one twenty, plus one thirty on this price. I think they're looking at the season overall for the Bengals, as opposed to what this offense actually is now. A couple of other stats here, just for some prop stuff, guys that haven't gotten in my account yet, but I'm at least going to dig in a little bit further, see if I can't get any uh, kind of beat writer information. On the Chiefs side of things, McCole Hardman only ran routes on 36% of dropbacks, Demarcus Robinson on 64, and Byron Pringle ran routes on 81% of Patrick Mahomes' dropbacks last week. So I don't know if Pringle has kind of moved into that true number two wideout role there for the Chiefs, but if you look... His prop number is only like 37 and a half as far as receiving yards in this thing. So if he is actually kind of the second receiver and is running routes on 80 plus percent of Mahomes dropbacks, um, that number is obviously too low. If if that's what we truly believe that Byron Pringle has become and the roles of of Hardman and Robinson have have really diminished here. The only other thing, too, is on the run, run, rushing side of things for the Chiefs. Clyde Edwards-Alaire did come back last week, but he was outsnapped 53-23 to 23, uh, in favor of Jarek McKinnon. I do wonder if this kind of gets back, now that's a second week back, if this gets a little bit closer to a 50-50 split. And if that's the case, you maybe would be looking at McKinnon unders. Of course, Daryl Williams is also back in the mix this week as well. I don't expect him to have a huge role, but even if he siphons off three or four carries right off of uh, off of either one of these guys, then we could be leaning towards uh, under rushing totals on something like a McKinnon side of things. So just another couple of stats I did want to to point out there. Uh, Brad, final thoughts on this one and uh, we'll move on to to the late game. 
Yeah, I would just say one more way to get at that Chiefs rushing. Um, you know, we, we've spoken about how effective they were last time and they were missing their left tackle in that game. I think he went out in practice. Um, you can do Chiefs to have more rushing yards than the Bengals, um, minus 125, I saw. That, that, that's on Bet365. Um, so have a look around, see, what, see what's going on in the US, um, see if you can find any of them. But I think that's a very strong bet given you know the, the, the Bengals are going to have yeah. to throw the ball and, and the Chiefs should have success running it. And again, that's uh, another one of the kind of dual outcome things as well, because if the Chiefs start trucking them, fourth quarter comes around, they're running every single time, et cetera, et cetera. So I like that one a ton. Stephen, final thoughts? Let's get out of here. My final thoughts are there's a very high chance you and I both win our bets and the Chiefs win by seven. I like it. I like it. That would, hey, that would make me feel extremely happy if that were to, uh, to be the case. The late game on Sunday, San Francisco 49ers at the Los Angeles Rams. We sit right now. The Rams are three and a half point home favorites, a total of 45 and a half, pretty much across the board in uh, rest of country. There are a bunch of 46s in Vegas. So this is taking a little bit of money towards the the over in Vegas anyway, but the, the line is exactly the same. So it's three and a half across everywhere in the country, just a little bit of difference on the thinking on the total in Vegas to rest of country. Um, Guys, listen, this is a, we all know, this is the third time that they will meet. And everybody keeps talking about when teams meet for the third time, yada, yada, yada. It's so hard to beat a team the third time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, guess what, fellas? Since 1970, there have been 22 different instances of a team winning the two regular season matches, and then they play again in the playoffs. They three games swept it 14 times. So it's not that hard. Preach, man. It's not that hard. It's happened more times than it hasn't happened. It's 14 for 22 since 1970. So all of that narrative is out the window. It's, I mean, like, so we can stop with all of that, that you can't beat a team three times in a season. Yeah, you can. It's happened 14 of 22 times. So we're going to get past all of that. Now there are a couple of injury situations here that we'll be monitoring. Trent Williams, big, big, big for the 49ers DNP on Wednesday and Thursday. We will be certainly taking a look at what happens on Friday and what his official designation is for this game. Andrew Whitworth, who had to miss last week for the Rams, did practice in full on Thursday. He is going to play this week. Taylor Rapp at safety, guys. He has been out for the last few games uh, trying to get out of that concussion protocol. And what do you know? He was back out practicing and is apparently on track to play this week because playoff concussions are not as bad as regular season concussions. So uh, that being said, remember, this is a team that had to go sign Eric Weddle off the street to come in and play safety for them. So getting Taylor Rapp back out there would be a would be a nice little boost for for this defense here on the Rams side of things. Steven, let's uh, let's head into this. I mean, I think this is I think everybody kind of looks at this the same way whenever it comes to how the 49ers most likely want to attack the Rams, despite the fact that the Rams are a really good run defense. I think they still want to run the ball and still want to try and shove it down their throat, maybe tire out that defense because what you don't want is Jimmy Garoppolo having to throw 45 times at a game. So let's let's start with the 49ers offense. I also want to touch on the defense and also just why mm-hmm. I think this number is strange for a playoff spread but you mentioned the 49ers offense so we'll we'll start there they needed 
overtime in week 18 to beat the Rams. But if you look at that game holistically, they dominated the Rams on a yards per play basis, 6.7 to 4.1. Jimmy G in both games against the Rams this year, over nine yards per attempt. So even if they aren't as effective running the ball, because the Rams do have a pretty strong run defense, the 49ers and Jimmy have been able to throw it. Now, the question in this game is, are we getting an injured Jimmy G with the shoulder? I don't think I'm as worried about the thumb anymore. It's the shoulder because once he got hurt in the Dallas game in the second half of that one, he was only five of 11 passing 39 yards, 3.5 yards per attempt. And last week against Green Bay on 19 pass attempts, 6.9 yards per attempt in the pick. Now we can, was that the weather? Was it Jimmy being hurt? We don't know. I tend to just throw that Packers game out the window with the weather situation anyway. But I just, he was a full participant in practice on back-to-back days this week. So that's at least, that's at least um, encouraging. So the question you really have to have with this offense is, do you have faith that he's going to be an effective passer in this game? And in particular with this matchup, one thing I heard this week that I thought was really interesting, Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus, he watches a lot of tape and more tape than I I unfortunately have the time to these days with, you know, my day to day duties, both at work and being a, a dad of a baby. But I thought his observation of this matchup was really interesting. And he said that the Rams motion on defense more than anybody in the league. But when they play the 49ers, they're playing a 49ers offense that motions more than any offense in the league. And that actually tends to neutralize what the Rams can do in disguising their defense. So perhaps some insight there into why the 49ers have had such great success offensively against the Rams in recent years and in past weeks this season. So put a bow on that for you. I don't really have many concerns with the 49ers offense mm-hmm. this week and then being able to move the ball and score points. I, 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 I can certainly understand it. So Brad, we take a look at, at Matthew Stafford and this is the thing that everyone's going to be talking about from now until this thing kicks off on Sunday is just, He threw four of his 17 interceptions this year versus the 49ers. So obviously they have figured something out with Stafford. The Rams, uh, you know, it's kind of like this game that we talked about the the earlier game. Listen, the the guy who was second behind Burrow against the Blitz and all of the different statistics was Matthew Stafford, right? He is the, and and the Rams overall as a team are first by actually a, a decent amount in expected points added per play versus the Blitz. Like they are a good team versus the blitz the 49ers blitz Stafford just 14 percent of the time combined in those first two games that they played each other yet were able to get 41 percent pressure rate on him despite only blitzing 14 percent of the time so this is one of those things where we talked about was this weird kind of outlier with Stafford where we were saying his completion percentage Higher against the blitz when not blitzed, which that's just not the case for most of these guys. He had a much higher passer rating when getting blitzed than when not getting blitzed and all that. And it just makes you wonder about is is Matthew Stafford having, you know, these guys just kind of draped back out there and the decision not being made for him. You know, if a blitz is coming from over here, you're trying to throw back towards the blitz and you're trying to do all and like those are instinctual things for a quarterback is 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 him sitting back. And having all of these defenders out there and him having to make the choice of how to attack that 
Is that actually one of his Achilles heels? I mean, I think these are the, the things here that, that the 49ers have the benefit of at least finding out because they do get so much pressure with that front four. Yeah, exactly. So to that point, uh, Stafford best in the league against the Blitz this year by EPA, about half an EPA per play. The the Cardinals come in opening round of the playoffs. They blitz him 40% of the time. He, 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 he cooks them. The the um, the Buccaneers come in the next week, blitz him nearly fifty percent of the time, including that zero blitz on like the last play of the game to Cooper Cup. He cooks them, so I, c- I can't understand what those defensive coordinators are doing. But you, he's going to have the opposite this week. And if you think back to the games earlier this season, the 49ers games for one, but say the Tennessee Titans as well, teams that can get pressure with the front four, that's when Stafford was flapping and just throwing it up off his own goal line, just chucking it up into the air and getting pick six for fun. Um, So I do think it's a lot more likely we see that kind of game rather than we've seen the last two weeks. Um, I would also say quickly on Jimmy G, the shoulder was off the injury report while the thumb was still on. But obviously he had, he had the thumb the first time they played this game. And, and you know, as, as you said, he, he was still effective. So I'm a lot more bullish on Jimmy being effective um, than, he, than he has been the last couple of weeks. Um, and then the last thing I would say is the 49ers defence they had a they had quite a nice practice run for this last week. You know the the other team that runs this style of offense, the Shanahan the Shanahan McVay offense, is the Green Bay Packers, um, and obviously they they shut them down. And some of that was the weather, but some of that was also just the 49ers a getting pressure with four, but also Fred Warner just being an absolute monster in the middle of the field. Um, Stephen Ruiz Stephen Ruiz had a piece this week about how he shut that shut the game down basically. Um, and, and he probably learned some of it off Shanahan, right? If, if he's facing that offensive practice each day, Warner is like, he's covering up like three different plays at once. Mm-hmm. Whereas you look at the Rams, they, they don't have a good linebacker really. Um, and obviously Shanahan is he's famous for putting the linebacker in a spin, right? He picks one linebacker and he makes them make a decision and they usually make the wrong one. So I think the linebackers are important here and I think the 49ers have got a, a much more effective one. Are we at all worried? So this 49ers team, guys, they ranked, according to Pro Football Focus, they graded out as the best team in the NFL run blocking, right? That, that, that offensive line, the number one run blocking unit in, in the league. Now, I understand one person doesn't make an entire offensive line, but when you are talking about Trent Williams, you're talking about a top 10 offensive lineman in the entire NFL, right? So if he's not able to go, does that at all change your view of how this offense may or may not be able to have success. Steven, I'll start with you and then I'll go to Brad. Not for me because he didn't play week 18 either and they put up 6.7 yards per play. So I obviously he is an important player, but I don't think he is critical to put it that way. I think a, my philosophy with this 49ers offense is that A, they are not one-dimensional running the ball. I think they are sneaky multiple and people haven't realized that this season. And I think that it's more a product of just how good Kyle Shanahan is at scheming guys open that he doesn't require Jimmy to sit back in the pocket and read the field and find an open receiver. So I, I don't think Trent Williams is a, is a critical factor in my handicap this week. Brad, at all, the, the Trent Williams, whether he goes or not goes, does that change your your thought at all here? 
No, I mean, obviously you'd rather him. I think he was PFF's yeah. best ever lineman. Um, so yeah, obviously you want him in you'd there. You'd rather but, have him than not, obviously. Yeah, of course. But to, to Stephen's point, Niners had a 51% success rate in that game, the second game, to the Rams 39%, which was actually a bigger margin of difference than the first game of the season. They were, you know, they're arguably more dom- dominant in that in that close game than they were in the first one. So, yeah, I, <laughs> they're, they're, to me, there's um the 49ers probably the better team. So, yeah, so the this is the question for me is it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the, the Chiefs-Bengals game, is how are the Rams going to try and adjust on the defensive side of the ball, right? So they play they play zone four times more than they play man, right? And I think zone for a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo works out a whole lot better, right? Like a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, you can go and you can have a guy just kind of find, and especially with as, as much as they rely on yak and, and everything like that with these guys, like, hey, Debo, just go out there, find a little soft spot. I'll hit you, and then you do your crazy stuff after you, you know, after you catch the ball and going about your way. Hey, Kittle, go out there and just sit down in the middle of the zone, and I'll just hit you with these short little passes, high percentage passes, and all these. And I'm not having to to throw against you know uh, Jalen Ramsey shadowing anyone or anything like that. And and so I wonder if the Rams, especially considering how 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 you know losing the first two games against this team over the course of the season. Do they try to play more man? Do they try to man up on these guys, make Jimmy G, you know, uh, make these decisions against, uh, you know, some of these corners in these in coverage like that and not able to run some of the the soft routes and things like that, the high percentage throws that that he, you know, really thrives in, by the way, he he he. He is against this against zone coverage. Jimmy G actually shreds uh, zone coverage pretty, pretty good. Right. I mean, I think he averages over nine yards an attempt or something like that against zone coverage. Like it is certainly the way that he prefers a defense to play against him. And so we have to we have to wonder, is there going to be these fundamental defensive adjustments from these teams that, again, like the Chiefs got shredded by playing you know man and blitzing against burrow in the first game do they change that up and and the same thing here with the rams like if you just let jimmy g kind of sit there and and pick things apart it seems like he's pretty good at that i think if you go about it the other way and try to make him make quick decisions have a have a you know have your receiver have to try and beat these other guys man on man to man and things like that maybe he's not near as good so brad it is are you expecting, I'll put it this way, from McVay, from what we've seen from him? Because for me, I think the guy's kind of hard-headed. I don't think he, I don't think he changes things. I think he's kind of like, this is my way and my way is going to work come hell or high water. Do, do you expect a different philosophy from this Rams team having lost the first two games to the 49ers? Yes. I mean, I think if you're the Rams defense, you've got to stop the run, right? You've got to mm-hmm. put nine men in the box. And as you say, just cr- crowd the middle of the field, right? You mm-hmm. cannot, like, Jimmy G can only throw in the middle of the field, um, do those things. And if Jimmy's going to beat you throwing not go balls, if he's going to beat mm-hmm. you throwing Joe Burrow go balls yeah. on the outside to Ayuk, so be it. Um, I would also say that everyone knows Jimmy G can only throw over the middle of the field, and he's done it. He's taken, he's taken them to a Super Bowl. He's done it all year long. They've beaten this Rams team by running it in the first meeting and then throwing their way back into it in the second meeting. And you would also say that I think Shanahan and um, D'Amico Ryans feel like better coordinators, feel like better schemers than McVeigh um, and Raheem Morris. I mean, McVeigh's obviously famous for falling off a little bit in the second half of the season. And 
the other way to think about it is McVeigh is running Shanahan's offense. Shanahan built the whole thing. So is he always going to be one step ahead? Because he, you know, he, he built the rules. McVeigh only knows the rules. So yeah, I don't think McVeigh is suddenly going to outcoach Shanahan and, and flip the tables. So I full disclosure in this one, like I said, I I was I took the seven and a half in the first game with Cincinnati. I have an incredible amount of Rams futures. Um, so I am in a position here. Uh, I, I was sitting on the internet whenever it was the, the rumor was floated that the Rams were going to be trading for, for Matthew Stafford. I was able to get in. I have incredible NFC numbers. I have incredible super bowl numbers on the Rams. Um, so I'm going to play the 49ers here at three and a half and try to just, win both, right? I'm going to try to middle both and hopefully that happens uh, for me. That said, I do at least have a lean to the 49ers anyway in this one, getting more than a field goal. I think the interesting thing here, guys, and I think we'd both agree, I think we'd all three agree, home field advantage in LA is worth at this juncture, specifically against this 49ers team, nothing, right? No, like zero, right? Not I if mean, you look at the spread. Well, not if you think like, the spread is correct. Well, that's what I'm trying to, that's where I'm getting to with this because they have posted Super Bowl look ahead lines in which the Rams versus the Chiefs are the Chiefs as a two and a half point favorite. The 49ers versus the Chiefs are the Chiefs as a three point favorite. So it is a half point difference on a neutral field against the same team. Yet this is a three and a half point spread where we believe that there's absolutely no home field advantage whatsoever being played into here. And Matt, so Matt, they're, the reports, they're, 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 they're showing us their cards here, essentially. The reports are that the vast majority of ticket sales on the aftermarket are coming from Northern California. Those aren't mm. Rams fans. And Matthew yeah. Stafford was reportedly talking about how he had trouble hearing in week 18 on his own home field. So I don't know how you get to two points of home field advantage in this game. And the line on this game in week 18 was a flat three. And now it's three and a half. The math doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense. Now, we've talked about Jimmy G in this handicap a lot and how we have confidence in him. There's always in the range of outcomes here a chance that he makes some boneheaded passes and they don't cover in the same way yeah. Matthew Stafford has done the same thing in a couple of games this year. But from a mathematical handicapping perspective, I couldn't get to three and a half in any way, shape or form for this game. I don't know what you guys thought, but I just couldn't get there. So I, I do want to bring up a prop here, guys, because I thought this one was fairly interesting. And I think this will make for some decent little debate here before we before we get out of here. So Cam Akers goes out and nearly, nearly fumbles away <laughs> the game yeah. last week for them. He fumbles on the one yard line that probably would have put, a, put the nail in the coffin before there was any sort of rally to be had. And then he fumbles again late in the game. His rushing prop at DraftKings and at Caesars is 63 and a half in this game. Do we not think that Sony Michelle is going to get any sort of extra run in this game after Cam Akers nearly fumbles away their shot at the NFC championship game here? Like I just find it incredibly hard to believe one, the numbers fairly high as it is anyway, right against a 49ers defense that, that can definitely stop the run. And then two, 
is he not is he not a very likely candidate to have you know eight to ten carries siphoned off in this game by Michelle? Am I just am I way off here? Am I being too results oriented by by what I saw last week? Hmm. Brad thoughts? <laughs> yes. Sorry. <laughs> um, yes. I mean. It's bit, there's, there's a couple of ranges of outcomes. I mean, one is that he fumbles early and he just gets benched entirely. Um, I guess we also we also don't know about that Achilles. Like, you know, no one's ever done what he's done before. He's come back and played maybe three, four games in a row now. Like, is he? There's, I think there's a lot of routes to the under, not least just not being that effective um, because they've not been that effective running the ball against the 49ers all year long. So, yeah, I, I like the under. I know, um, I think it established the run. They put out the over on acres. So it probably has been bet up recently. So um, maybe, ah. maybe wait for it because that's probably going to keep going up. Hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> but even then, yeah. I mean, he had... 48 yards and 55 yards the past two games, averaging less than 3.3 yards per carry in mm. both of those games. And now you're facing the 49ers front four. So I I guess maybe, I mean, Matt, we're, you're, you're to bet the over here, I think you or to bet the under. I think we are relying on potentially the fallacy of rational coaching here. And you, we mentioned mm -hmm. how stubborn Sean McVay is with some of this stuff, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, even statistically here, I don't know. It's, it seems quite, quite inflated to me as well. So boys I, to get out of here. I mean, the guy that the guy that everyone's going to be watching this week is, is Debo, right? I mean, they, they, how many times are they going to line him up in the backfield? How many receptions is he going to get? How are they going to utilize him? Because he is, I mean, you know, listen, I'm not going to say how Debo goes, this offense goes, but you know, look kind of how Debo goes, kind of how this offense goes, Brad, his, his rushing yards are set at 39 and a half. His receiving yards are set at, you can find as low as 51, and a half out there. Now he has not been featured as a receiver of late, right? I mean, he's only getting three, four targets a game at receiver and they're, they're using him more in the backfield. Do you think there's even more of that this week? Or do we see him kind of go back to trying to get the playmaker a little bit further down the field and try to make some plays? As we mentioned, should see a lot of zone should be able to kind of run some of these patterns that gives him uh, uh, some lanes to try to get going here. Uh, what do you think we see with Debo this week? Um, I prefer the rushing stuff here. I mean, Shanahan came out uh, after the game and he said, you know, I, I just wanted to get the ball in my best player's hands. I think that third and seven run near the end of the game just handed it off to Debo. So I, I think, I think that's how they feel most comfortable. Like, Let's just don't worry about anything else. Just give Debo the ball and, and run block, um, and it's probably going to go well. So I prefer prefer the rushing to the receiving. I would say on the receiving side, it, it could be a big Ayuk game. Um, he definitely gets more of the targets against man. Um, you know, we're just talking about just it's there's a good chance the Rams just flood the middle of yeah. the field and say if Ayuk beats us one on one against Darius Williams, then yeah. so be it. So maybe maybe an Ayuk long wreck over if he's going to be if he's going to be a lot of single coverage on the outside. Steven, how do you uh, how do you look at any of this from a from a prop perspective? Couple things for Debo, I do agree with the rushing situation for sure. Mm -hmm. But 
I also think that this matchup is more difficult to run on than their past two games against the Packers and the Cowboys who were not in the same advanced metrics category as the the Rams rush defenses. So that doesn't mean I don't think they're going to try and hand the ball off to Debo, but I do think this might be a game where he goes back to seeing maybe six targets as opposed to the four targets and three targets we've seen in the past two weeks. So I wouldn't bet it at, you know, minus 115 or minus 120 on his overs. But, you know, if if you want to sprinkle a couple bucks on Debo 60 plus receiving yards and a touchdown, you're getting like plus 290 on that for this game. And he's had 90 plus receiving yards and at least one touchdown in both games against the Rams this year. And we've discussed that they are most vulnerable in the middle. And that's where Jimmy likes to throw the ball as well. So plus 290 is not the that's pretty decent number for that for those two props that are pretty highly correlated. Uh, The other stat or prop I'm looking at is Eli Mitchell over 69 and a half rushing yards. They just don't seem to want to move this number up, do they, Brad? I mean, seven of his past 10 games, he's gone over this number despite Debo being more involved in the rushing than he has in in past weeks. I I think he should be around 80. I think 69 and a half is a little low considering how many carries he gets each game. Yep. Guys, this is yeah, this is going to be a, a, just an incredibly uh, amazing weekend. Listen, I think we're we're looking forward to these games just to see how they play out. I mean, there is a lot of chess match stuff going on here, right? And that's what I think is really cool, really fun, really interesting. How are these defenses going to play? How are the offensive philosophy is going to change if at all? How are these coaches going to make in-game adjustments as well? Because I think that there's going to be a, a couple of different situations where somebody's going to have to make a, a critical decision as to how the the course of this game is going to go. So feel really, really good about that as well. Guys, if you need us, if you need uh, a new book, I know, hey, by the way, welcome Louisiana uh, here on Friday morning as well. Uh, New York, welcome as well. All the other states, if you need the best sign-up offers out there, head over to the lines because seriously, take advantage of the free money that the books are giving you. You're going to want to do that. It is the best way that you can maximize your 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 profits and things like that is to take the free money that they're going to give you. So uh, get those over at the lines. Uh, if you want to follow Brad on the Twitter machine at Brad Allen NFL, you want to follow Steven at Steven Andrus one. If you want to follow me at Matt Brown M two, good luck on all your bets here in championship week. Bet basketball, baseball, or hockey with a risk-free bet up to $600 at BetMGM. Sign up and use bonus code THELINES and you're on your way with the king of sportsbooks. Get the BetMGM app today and use promo code THELINES to make a risk-free bet up to $600. This is a new customer offer. Paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years or older to wager Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call one 800 522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa and Tennessee. Call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada.